In a world where high-performance, zero-defect buildings are hard to find, two men are on a mission to disrupt the status quo. Welcome to the Enifis Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work perspective on the adjacent possible and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator, here with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda of most things, everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. So yes, I am the angry old man agitator and rager against the status quo. And our guest today is uh, Mario Lucy, who was the uh, CEO for a very long time of Amoresco, which was a large energy services performance engineer and contractor in Canada. And he's now an executive vice president at Sensor Suite Inc., which is a company trying to move the needle on the Internet of Things. So that is what we're going to be talking about today, the Internet of Things, the solution to all our problems, so I read on LinkedIn. So Mario, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Good afternoon. So, well, Mary, you're you're a certified engineering technologist registered with the Ontario Association of Certified Engineering Technicians and Technologists, and uh, but you ended up at Amerisco, and which is a leading independent provider of comprehensive energy efficiency and renewable energy solutions. I guess in both North America and the United Kingdom. So, how did you? And then you ended, yes. and now you're at yes. and now you're at Sensor Suite. So, tell us how you how did you end up at those two firms? Yeah. Well. I started in my career back in the 80s with an energy management company that we eventually grew from a small $2 million fee-for-service company to a performance contracting company. And from there, we, uh, we sold the business. I was one of the partners at the time, chief operating officer of the business, uh, eventually grew to about $30 million. And then we sold it to uh, Duke Energy. And then from Duke, three years with Duke, I was their president managing the business in Canada. And then from there, Duke sold the business, and I was back on the street selling the company, sold it to Amoresco, and then I became Amoresco's president for Canada. And I've been doing, I guess I've been president of the business for the last 16 years. So what? how would you describe the state-of-the-art for performance contracting in Canada or North America at the moment? I, You know, I think performance contracting, there's a role for performance contracting, and what we found is that most customers that don't have the technical skills, they don't have the financing, and they don't have pretty much the wherewithal on how to put things together, everything from feasibility study, design, implementation, financing, that's where the ESCOs apply. And in, in most cases, in I would say Canada, United States, most institutional customers would do performance contracting versus the commercial sector. And that's where pretty much we've been. So do you see that as a sort of growth area of contracting, or do you think it will peak out and fall out to the P, PFI, P3 market? No, I, I continue to think that it will evolve. Performance contracting will continue to evolve. It will start to move into areas like the IoT uh, of things, Internet of Things, where you know, performance contracting companies are always looking at, at ways of proving what they do is actually saving money, utility dollars, right? 
So that's why you need better systems. Uh, we've always been using the big three control companies to do a lot of the control type of, of our installations. But in the end, you know, we need to put that control back to the customer. Customers are asking for that. They want to know what's going on in their building. And in most cases, they're confused with the types of technologies that reside within the, in the buildings and some of the products that are out there. They're not talking to each other. And that's one of the reasons why I decided after uh, leaving Amorisco two years ago that this was an interesting way of me not kind of retiring. It's, it's kind of semi-retiring into something I enjoy. And I, I like controls. Uh, before we go on, I mean, we have a pretty highly intelligent audience, but not everybody knows what performance contracting is all about. So before maybe we keep going, can you give us give them a little bit of an idea what that's all about? Yeah, so like I was saying, institutional customers that require technical skills that they don't have it inside, they would look to companies like performance contracting companies to provide the auditing work, the uh, site visits to recommend the measures that need to be applied in order to reduce utility costs. And we're talking gas, electricity, water, you name it, anything to reduce utility costs within a building. So once we uh, do what we call a detailed feasibility study, where we make the recommendations, have an idea of what the costs are going to be going forward, we submit that as a proposal to a customer and if they choose to implement, then we would also find the financing dollars to finance the project. So I'll give you an example. If it was a um, maybe a $10 million opportunity to retrofit boilers, chillers, air handling systems, controls, and the savings are about a million dollars, we would pay for that program over 10 years plus interest. So that million dollars would cover that $10 million capital that we bring in. Now, if there's a shortfall after a year of implementation, then the ESCO has to make up the difference. So let's say it was 900000 is what the savings were. You're missing 100000 The ESCO has to cut a check to certainly secure the customer on their loan. So that could have made for a very awkward board meeting for you if that had to happen? Yes, and didn't happen very often. Thank God, right? Which is why you survived. <laughs> I like it. So that is what I would officially call big boy rules. Big boy trousers required, big consequences, you know, money on the line. I like that. There's something quite pure about that. It's almost a mixed martial arts of contracting, right? It's the ultimate fighter type stuff. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, not for the weak of heart. So, well, you're fully, you're fully engaged, right? Like there's no, you know, I mean, you're all in. Well, you know, you know what I liked about it? It is a closed loop system. You start by setting the right expectations with the client. This is what we're going to do. This is what it's going to cost. This is how much energy we're going to save. And we're going to guarantee it. We're going to be there right to the end. And what we found is that after a year, let's say we've installed 100% of the equipment, we, we call a commencement date and we say we're going to start monitoring the savings. And I, I, I would say that in most part, once we show that the savings are there for the last maybe two years, the customer will just sign off on any liabilities on the ESCO and then move on. They don't necessarily have to monitor it for the, the next 10 or 11 years, right? So, so Mary, what would you say were the typical landmines that you, that you ended up stepping on? I mean, you go in and you do, you assess the client, you assess the building, you put together the program and then, oops. Yes. 
Well, the, the landmines uh, will come if the expectations aren't set properly in the beginning, right? And what tends to happen is sometimes you're working with a particular customer today that says, this is what I want done. This is what it's going to cost. This is what the payback is. And they sign off on it. And then that individual or individuals no longer exist a year or two down the road when we've already implemented the, the measures and some new people come in and say, well, I wouldn't have done that. That's when we start running into problems because it's really contractually related, right? We'd have to go back to the contract and say, this is what the expectation was. This is what we did. And we move on. Uh, some of the other problems we run into is that if we have operator kind of sabotage, where the operators in the facility might bypass our controls. And, and that's a problem as well. So you need, really need to have instant information on the fact that you've now installed something to save energy and someone has now bypassed it. So that's a problem. So compliance monitoring is actually a cost overhead you have to bear, I guess, right? Yes. And that's part of project management, project commissioning, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's good. So, okay, I get that. You were successful, you survived, and that is a not an easy thing, so kudos for that. Now, what I'm really interested in is your new role as Executive Vice President at Sensor Suite. So Sensor Suite Inc., tell us about the company and, and how you got there. Yeah, they're a young company. They started in 2009, and I guess the, the group grew from a Ryerson program in developing a new business. That's where the, the business started. And then it was funded. I, I think there were dollars from uh, a couple of Canadian um, government banks. And uh, I think Ryerson put some money into it. So right now, I, I think last uh, about a year ago, they, they did over a million dollars worth of revenue. So now that you can call them a going concern, they're actually doing very well. They're developing. What I liked about them is that they're developing their own products and software. And uh, the whole platform is managed and controlled by them, which I like. And I like the fact that, you know, when you install a system like theirs, there's there's only one choke to one throat to choke, if I may, if a problem occurs. So you don't go out there and start pointing fingers. It's not my product. It's this person's product. And, and that's what I liked about their platform. The fact that they do their own software, they do their own hardware and everything is controlled as one platform. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I the. Uh the internet of things, I definitely see that as having an application in uh, the institutional, industrial, commercial world where the cost of the technology, the capital cost, and the operating cost of technology relative to the project value itself, like the building and all, and all of the internal infrastructure is, a, is small compared to the... But in the residential world where we see a lot of people jumping on board onto the internet of things at the expense of actually making better buildings. In other words, they're buying the technology rather than improving insulation values, improving HVAC systems and, and that type of stuff. And in the residential world, it seems like there it, it's a higher ratio than it would be in, in the commercial sector. Yeah, well, I, I think it's because um, a lot of people like these little gadgets that are coming out that are IoT gadgets, right? You know, you always have to ask the question, like, why do I need that, right? But, you know, when I take a look at Sensor Suite's technology and how it's being applied in multi-residential high-rise buildings, it's actually doing a fantastic job 
in managing all electric mm-hmm. buildings. As a performance contracting company, when we found an all electric building, it was a problem because you, if you had to convert it to gas, we're looking at, and it's all operating costs related, right? Because electricity is very expensive. But when you convert something like that into a gas, there's core drilling, there's disrupting the tenants, and there's a, an 18 year payback on something like that, even though the savings are 30%, right? So wow. when I found Sensor Suite, I thought, wow, this is great. Here's a technology that no one has. It's actually a niche market that they're tackling. And I know that there's over 400,000 units across Ontario that are all electric. So, you know, you look at Ontario, you look at Quebec, there's probably over 2 million uh, units. All of Canada, you know, we're talking maybe 3, 3 million. You go to the States, we're, we're talking in the uh, probably 5 to 6 million. So there's a big opportunity there for these types of control systems that are not very expensive because you're not hardwiring from one quarter to another, it's really just wiring right, the hard wire right into the panel and then controlling from there, from a transmitter to a gateway to the cloud. And there you go. Now you're managing and controlling every individual suite on a set point, and then you can adjust it. If you've got some people that don't like 21 degrees, maybe 25, you can adjust them individually. So I, I think it's a great, great product. And it's certainly going to move from all electric to also gas-fired buildings and, and, and water as well. So just for the benefit of our international listeners, Canada and North America have some unique situations. So there is a lot of legacy. There are a lot of legacy buildings, residential, multi, multi-unit, high-rise units, and a lot of them are electric-based. And in Canada, that goes back to there's a lot of hydroelectric power here. And in America, there's a mixture of hydroelectric power and a lot of legacy steam systems. And so the UK would have a different situation, Germany, the Middle East. So these, what we're talking about here are some uniquely North American issues. But as Mario just said, the market is vast. If you take Canada and America as a market, a North American market, the, the addressable market is just enormous on residential alone, which is where a big problem exists, right? Because residential is a massive segment with way less control. So the thing with the Internet of Things is you're dealing with sort of three things here. You're dealing with with costs of hardware and software, and then you're you're dealing with the quality of whatever equipment or building you're putting it in against. And then there's a third pillar here, which is human behavior, which, as we all know, is like managing a herd of cats. You know, you've got everything from nice people to bad people and psychopaths in between. I'm a big believer in the Internet of Things. I'm a technology guy through and through. However, if you take a laptop, take my Mac laptop, right? The software works great and it works flawlessly because the hardware is integrated and built to a standard that is absolutely flawless, right? And and if you take cars... Like if you take a car, you know, the software that is now in cars is, is vast, right? You know, and you take a Tesla as a prime example, right? So a Tesla, the software works and the hardware is pretty much there, right? Now let's, let's look at a building. How many buildings are built to a standard where, let's say the software is immaculate for a BMS system or an Internet of Things type system. The building has to be built to a quality, be it residential or commercial, but the software can run, right? Because you can have the best software in the world. If you connect it to rubbish, it is rubbish. 
And this is a, this is a challenge for the. And that was a bit of a rant. I apologise for that, but that's that's a challenge for the industry. So you know, one of my things about the industry I've worked in for thirty seven years is the quality just isn't really going up. The car industry has evolved. The computers have evolved. The building industry is just not getting there. So to Robert's point, you know. I see a future where the internet of things cost is so low. Let's just say you can put a device on for 10 cents, 20 cents, 50 cents, right? So there's no reason why you can't put them everywhere. But then the building has to be designed around that concept to a quality and to a way it can adapt. How do you, how do you see that lot coming together in the future? I, you know, I think clients that have multiple facilities and let's just focus on multi-res or what have you, they have to make a decision on what the unfunded liability is within a building. And in some cases, it may be uh, 20% underwater, uh, meaning that there's things that they need to repair in order to keep the building safe and productive and and, and what it's useful for. But, you know, I've seen buildings um, in social housing that are probably 50, 60% underwater. Now, those are buildings that customers need to just tear down and, and start over, you know, because you're right. There's a lot of, you know, electrical system is, is failing. You know, you, you're seeing the bricks and mortar failing as well. So sometimes you got to make a decision on what buildings you keep and what buildings you knock down. So it's really a, a matter of making a decision on where the funding should go in order to upgrade facilities that are over 30, 40, 50 years old. In some cases, they're still in good, in good standing when it comes to the, the building, but then it's, it's the guts within the building that need to be evaluated. Yeah, one of my theories on the market is I think there's a huge latent market, and maybe the Internet of Things will bring this market to life, of retrofitting buildings, deep retrofits. So you don't want to knock down a huge concrete or steel structure. But you could gut that thing back to its core and then retrofit yes. it. And it's been done. I mean, we've done that in uh, BC. We did that for BC Housing through Amoresco. And that's what we did. We just kept the walls there and we just gutted it and, and redid the whole thing. And we did that for um, one of the housing corporations up there. And, and that was a P3, by the way. So, so there's possibilities to do that, yes. Yeah. But the Internet of Things is really about you know, how do we connect to legacy equipment that's still in good shape? It's just that, and, and we'll, let's use a baseboard as an example. You know, baseboards can last for, for ages, right? They're just an element. But at the same time, they're not as efficient as they could be because of the way the fins are bent or what have you. But, you know, it's very simple for uh, an Internet of thing to be connected to something like a baseboard. It's very simple to connect to that and actually control that power. Power is being controlled there. So it's not complicated. I'm, I'm finding that, you know, installations of maybe just individual suites could vary anywhere from $500 to $600 a suite. And now if you had to wire that, you know, we're talking maybe $600 to $1,000 a point. That's what you hear in the hardware industry, right? So the, there's ways and roundabouts and how you how you connect IoT in, in buildings. That's interesting. So I wanted to talk about the cost because, you know, I, I work primarily on big commercial projects and you always talk about the cost per point of a BMS or a BAS system. You know, and that's hundreds of dollars. Used to be 1500 It's fallen, but nowhere near fallen enough, right? 
so for Census Suite, for example, I mean, I don't want you to give me any confidential commercial information, but do you see the costs falling over time for this? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so as sensors start to come down, you know, we're also moving into the next generation of product already at this stage in, in the life cycle of Sensor Suite. So we're trying to build the product in such a way that there's uh, a lot less uh, touch time by electrician. So the electrician is not doing a lot of work once they're on site. We just want to build it in a box and all they have to do is connect it to power and it's ready to go. So this is a, a major change that just took place just recently. We should have our panel out fairly soon, but yeah, I, I think the, the price is going to start to come down even more. What And you're using wireless technology primarily? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, it's hardwired into the product that we're connecting to at the panel. So the wireless piece is really the communication that goes to the gateway that goes to the cloud. So the system can work on its own if something should happen. Let's say there's an interruption of power. It, it, it will function. It'll do what it needs to do. But then once it's powered back up, the cloud, we can connect through the cloud. And, and e even one of the things that we've built is an app so we can commission the system from the cloud. So even when an electrician is, is starting to put the equipment in, we can actually commission the electrician putting the product in and checking to make sure that they've done the right things. I've had some interesting discussions uh, recently with individuals who are looking at sort of the evolution of the electrification of the, the, the global utility system. And so as we shift off of hydrocarbons onto the more renewable-based energy sources, PV, wind, there's a huge requirement to manage that evolution. And it has to be it can't be willy-nilly. It's got to be structured. Like There has to be a long-term plan for this. Do you see the, the Internet of Things as being one of those tools to help society move off of hydrocarbons onto more renewable-based power systems? Yes, I do. I mean, right now we've got a program with IESO. They're the, um, actually our, our power company in, in, uh, in Ontario that it, we've got a program where we're helping with the demand response that would trigger into a smart grid. Once they open up a smart grid opportunity, then we're able to go to our customers and shed loads wherever, you know, right across uh, the province. That's a start once the province starts to look at smart grid. Yes, that's a possibility where it's everything from energy storage to solar, you name it. It'll, it'll go on that smart grid. So how do you see, or I guess maybe the better question is, is where do you envision the challenges for that? Because you know, just take the continent of North America, for example, and you have multiple utility companies that are going to go through that evolution. And then you've got firms like yourself. How do all of those firms that are going to eventually enter into that business start to communicate so that we don't have a fiasco, you know, 50 years from now or 60 years from now? I think it's it's, it's got to be um, structured in such a way through government, through utilities, and then the mm -hmm. private sector. I mean, somehow, some way that has to be managed. How it's happening right now is that everyone's kind of inventing their own tools. And you're right. You need to kind of bring a, a bigger party together to try to uh, build a framework around it because I'm not, I'm not seeing that yet. 
Yeah, and that's that's certainly one of the concerns, right? Because we don't we don't see government stepping up to the plate yet. It seems like there's a lack of vision, like the macro vision of where yep. this is going, and and until somebody, like you point out, some large entity, a government takes charge in that, I just it's gonna. I just see things scrambled in the future until that until someone steps yeah, up. I agree. I agree. It's just going to take some time. You know, from a utility point of view, if you look at the LDCs. In some cases, they're going to start to lose revenue. So they have to start thinking about how do we participate in this so that we don't lose that revenue to private sector companies, right? Yeah. So you're seeing some of that. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. So at the moment, it's a bit like the Wild West, right? There's all this innovation, and at some point, that's going to coalesce into consolidation or a player like Honeywell is just going to come in like the ball cube and suck everyone into them, right? (laughs) Somebody's got to start it. I suppose if you're an owner of Census Suite, that works, right? God bless capitalism. But you know what? Capitalism works if you get the good outcome, right? And the outcome, I mean, let's face it, the outcome really should be and probably will be, this is just a time factor, everything interconnected and managed well, and you get some really good demand management going on, right? And you and you get resilience in the network because you're using mixtures of solar and nuclear and gas and all these other different energy options in the mix, which gives you redundancy and resilience, right? Yeah, and I, I'm seeing a, a, a lot of that thinking process with new construction, because obviously anyone that's building a new building has to start thinking about that today. But in existing buildings, it it doesn't exist, right? You've got all kinds of different players in there doing different things. Right now, the, the big thing in uh, residential apartment buildings is uh, metering the uh, suites uh, individually and then charging them directly for it so the landlord doesn't pay for it. All right, let me stop you there. So just again for our international (laughs) consumers, in North America, most apartments are not metered. So the user doesn't pay for their utilities. It's all in their rent. In most places outside North America, that is not the case. Everything's metered. So, you know, it's... uh, Again, this, when I moved to Canada from the UK, to me, the cost of energy looks super cheap, whereas everyone I talk to here gets their pitchfork out when the energy prices go out, up, right? So, you know, it's there's different perspectives on this, but whatever way you cut it, we got to cut down our carbon footprint, and cost is just one signal to that, and pollution is the other big signal. Yeah. So um, let's, uh, let's talk about another North American phenomenon, lobbying. So do you see, is there a lobbying effort underway by any of the Internet of Things companies to try and get something going legislation-wise, provincially or federally? There, there possibly is. I, I haven't gotten involved at, at, that, at that level uh, right now. I'm, like I said, I'm helping um, a business uh, kind of slowly build their, their infrastructure and, and slowly start to connect to the customers that their uh, product is, is useful for. But yeah, I, I, I believe there is. It's just uh, there are uh, bigger companies that are doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would categorize the market as, you know, if you take the Windows software analogy, we're in DOS 3.0 at the moment, right? Yeah. And we've got a long way to go to get up to Mac OS 11. But, but like you said, but like you said, you know, the Internet of Things means a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, mm. It's all in where you apply it. I was listening to someone today that was talking about Everything from productivity sensing to you know performance improvements uh, on people, on things, uh, cleaning, you name it. Internet of Things is so vast. What we're focusing on is really on the HVAC, 
water conservation, that part of it. That's what, where the confusion comes. You know, people think, well, you know, why do I need that? Well, it's true. There's a lot of little gadgets out there that do little things. And whether you need it or not, that's the question, right? Yeah. I always joke in my classes, because we, unlike Adam, my focus is more the residential, although we do institutional buildings, but residential is a big part of it. And the clientele that we typically serve are, you know, they're wealthy people and then educated. And our clients have basically come to us and say, you know, this internet of stuff is interesting, but we're more interested in having a relationship with our grandkids, our fishing rod, That's you right. know, our, our pottery wheel than we are with our fridge and our, and our furnace. That's we right. just, th- those are relationships to us, you know, as they get older, things that become yeah. of more importance to them have sure. to do more with family and, and those social things than it is with the technology. But now if you take a 20 year old or a 30 year old who don't have grandkids yet, or maybe, you know, then they're different priorities, but those people tend not to have money to buy these gadgetry. So I, it's, it's a, it's a state of flux, I think right now. Um, It is. I I mean, the customers that that are approaching us are customers that have multiple portfolios across the the province in the U.S. So they're buying buildings. And then when they buy buildings, they're they're looking for ways of reducing utility costs. So they're they're finding ways of doing that from a low cost point of view by using IoT. That's why it's going to go somewhere, because it is providing a service and a benefit immediately, right? Yes. And, you know, we're looking at paybacks of two to three years. So where do you get that? No one gets fired for that. Nobody gets fired for a two-year payback. (laughs) And the incentives are pretty good in Ontario. We have some very good incentives as well. Yeah. So that's the policy side at the moment, right? The the incentive scheme and trying to match yourself into that. So let's, let's talk about one of the other aspects of this. It's the human factor, right? The human behavior. Have you had any pushback from tenants or from occupiers about any of this? You know, we don't, obviously, we don't hear a lot of what goes on after the installation. But, you know, when we do ask, you know, there are some tenants that knew that they could drive the thermostat up to 28, 29 degrees. And now they're saying it stops at 21. Why? I've got a problem with my heater. So the supers are the ones that are having to deal with that. And we have to educate the supers as well to say, just because they're complaining this is something new, something different. You have to educate them on it. And they they shouldn't have the window open anymore. They have to keep that window closed and keep the temperature at 21. Now, there are some elderly people that may need it at 25. And the super needs to be trained on how to go into the dashboard and, and modify that set point. But those are some of the things that, that are occurring. But once they, they get accustomed to it, they know this is the landlord paying the bill they understand the situation, they move on. That's interesting. So the other thing I, I do believe will happen in the future, I think the future for companies like SensorSuite is they're going to accumulate this massive amount of data on behavior, like, you know, what what does a building that's got predominantly, I don't know, single families in, how much energy they use when they turn the lights on. So all this massive amount of data is going to get crunched, packaged and sold, I believe. So I think in the future, SensorSuite will employ data analysis people who have some building skills, building analytical skills, and that will be packaged up and sold to developers, man. That is the future. So 
young people, if you're going out of university, data analysis in buildings, I think, is going to be a hot spot to be in the next five or 10 years. Well, you know, it isn't. You're right. It's, it's interesting. We had showed some some of our customers that we've been monitoring, let's say, a whole floor. We can actually show where some of the suites, obviously the suites that are either on the north or the east side, where there's infiltration coming in that's actually causing more energy to be used. So now we can point to them and say, these are the buildings that are consuming more energy or the suites. Those are the ones you need to go and fix because obviously there's window problems or door problems, what have you, and you have to go and seal them. So that's great information for a landlord to fix the problem and keep keep the heat stable. Yeah, trend, trend analysis, basically, right? Yeah, if you get so much noise from one building, do you knock it down, right? That's the question. Yeah. Also, we can trend the maintenance aspect of it. We can see when uh, certain heaters are, are about to go. So from a maintenance point of view, we can do the analytics on that as well. Uh, that's, that's interesting because you're talking about predictive maintenance, right? Point of need, predictive maintenance. That could bring maintenance costs down ultimately. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting side effect. Yeah. So at some point, institutional investor dollars has to start and maybe it already is looking at this market segment. I mean, once you start collecting data, um, and as Adam pointed out, that that's that now is an asset. And at some point, institutional dollars will look at that asset in, in terms of return on investments. Are you starting to see that? I mean, is anybody looking at that yet? Not not yet, but think about um, customers that are thinking of buying buildings. and And if we have access to information on a particular building and they say i'd like to see that data i'd like to see how that building's performing now they can get instant access you know if we're obviously in the building through our yeah. dashboard they can get that information on their ipad and on their uh, computer what have you we can so how do that to reports so how do we invest <laughs> I'll give you a number to call. <laughs> in, the, in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> we'll, take, we'll take your money. Awesome. No, that is, that's interesting because I think there's so many potential revenue streams out of a business like this once it matures a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's also a revenue generator for customers that, that want to be in the control and monitoring business. If they want to use our product, we can white label it and they can actually use it to create revenue for their business where they're helping property managers uh, manage their buildings off-site versus having someone on-site. So are there many competitors to Census Suite at the moment? Not yet. The The big control companies are, are trying to adapt, and, but they're using parts and pieces of different companies to try to make it work, and it's very expensive. So that, that's good for us. So we can we can always compete. And, and the fact that we're in the small to mid-size market where they usually don't show up, so most of these customers have standalone controllers and, and they're not talking to anyone. So most places, they have something in a boiler room. It's doing its job, but is it doing its job properly? That's why you need something like the Internet of Things to tap into it. Yeah, I, I'd make a prediction that people like Honeywell Johnson's, they've got so much legacy technology and path dependency around that, it'll be very hard for them to get on this bus. They'll have to buy someone eventually. Well, they get a lot of manufacturing plants that they built that they're still building products, right? BAS products. So how long is that going to last? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's some very severe change coming. The only question I think is how fast does it come on, right? 
Well, you know, I, I see this like the Kodak situation. Mm, they, they, right, they, didn't right. see it, they didn't see it coming, did they? Well, I, I see the same thing with the IoT industry. You know, if people don't see this coming, boy, they're going to get whiplash. I think that is a great analogy, Kodak, right? That is a great analogy. So for you young people out there, Kodak used to be the premier photographic company. They used to make cameras and photographic paper. And this is when photography was not digital. And back in the day, before most, well, many of you are listening to this, were born, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we're having to explain what Kodak is. <laughs> oh, you know, you're your old man, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why I did that. I had a conversation about a blog post I did. And uh, there was a time last year I asked my daughter to email me from university. And she just looked me on and said, why, Dad? Only old people use email. Oh man! I felt about 110 at that point. <laughs> well, hey Mary, let's let's talk about demographics in this in this conversation because as well, I'll give you you know example. Right now, we're renovating my house. We've had over the over the last seven eight months, you know, probably you know 15 20 people come through. I would say 75 percent of the trades and service providers were over the age of 55, and so yeah. how. You know, in your in your vision of, of how this thing all evolves, the technology is evolving, the building systems are old, legacy. We see trades guys that right now can serve as that conduit between the IoT of things and the and the legacy equipment, but eventually these guys retire. And so there's you know, we we're starting to see a void. How do we overcome that? Well what what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing uh, an integration of the IT people into the HVAC business. That's what we're seeing. And uh, and that's crossing over. And we got a lot of smart IT people uh, also on the sensor suite team. And uh, these are guys that have come out of IBM. And there's a lot more of them out there. And I, I think it's, a, it's an IT play. And slowly but surely, the tradespeople are going to start to adapt to this type of technology versus the the Pneumatic controls, if everybody remembers pneumatic controls. Oh, yeah. A lot of these, and, and a lot of these line voltage type uh, control systems that are still out there, still being sold, uh, eventually IoT is going to replace all that. But do, you, but do you see the IT person being the person that's go down and change the belts on a fan coil or change the actuator on a control valve or... You no, know, not, fix. No, yeah. No, not necessarily. I just see that the I, IT person needs to get involved in the um, on the maintenance side of facilities now because there's an IT play that's going yeah. on right now. And most people that don't know much about IT that are really more HVAC people need to get up to speed on that, right? So I, I think the person to to lead that challenge would be an IT person within a um, a company that owns and runs facilities, right? Mm. Yeah, I think to uh, to Robert's point, I think the future actually would be a technician would go out to a service call, say, right? And there might be a 40 valve, he would place that valve and then he'd also have the skills in his hands and head to do some coding and programming to load that valve up, get it Absolutely. logged on and walk away knowing it works. So you're talking about a hybrid IT technician and HVAC te- technician yeah. merging it's yeah, and this is where like, the it's almost like the car industry, right? Do you remember we used to know right. how to fix our cars? Now we we have to plug it into yeah, a no. computer. 
Yeah. That's the same thing that's going on in buildings now, right? Yeah. So I think that's one of the challenges is because I don't believe our educational system is responding to that. Like we don't see that being taught Absolutely. At, the co- at the colleges. And so again, this goes back to, you know, we're, you know, so, you know, we're 2017 now, right? So in 15 years, you know, 2030, 2035, we're, I, I see us having some challenges because we haven't trained the people coming through the colleges to, to get on board with the with the technology, I mean, it's hard enough to get them to understand the mechanics, the electromechanics of an HVAC system, and now we're going to add on that the IT technology. It's I tell you what, if my advice to any kids these days is to is to learn that stuff because I agree with you that the evolution is going to be there. There'll be very few people to compete with, and those jobs will be very valuable. Yeah, you're right. They they took uh, shops away from high schools as well. I don't know if they're bringing them back, but. I remember I was in high school and I had shops. I did auto mechanic, refrigeration, air conditioning, electricity. And in most school boards, if I go back to my old school, high school, it's no longer there, which is a sad case because this is this is where students are certainly interested in picking a, a topic and trying it out to see if this is what they want to do. And now it's it doesn't exist, right? In, in yeah. most high schools. Actually, I think the future jobs belong to tradesmen and artisans and farmers. That's where the money's going to be. Absolutely. absolutely, Yeah. Great. Well, we're seeing it now. I mean, even in terms of monetary rewards, I mean, I, in the circle that I, that I have, you know, there's young men, 30, 35 years of age that are multimillionaires, not because they're growing pot, Although that would be one 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 way yeah. to become a millionaire, yeah. but it's because they own. They started out as young trades guys, now own companies, and they've got twenty, thirty guys working for them. Exactly. And every time one of those guys goes out in a van, it's cha cha ching cha ching for them, right? Uh, things have definitely come full circle here. I mean, we were, at our age, we were pushed into technical college and university, right? Now. I don't know. I'm, my son's just graduated high school, and I'm trying to steer him towards becoming a, a trades, like an electrician. That'd be perfect for him. I tried, a friend of mine tried to call an electrician last week, right? He was told three weeks was the earliest you could get an emergency call out. Three weeks. That was the best conversation he had after four phone calls. <laughs> so what's that call out charge going to be like an hourly rate? Gonna be like- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we just don't have enough. And you're right. There there are a lot of tradespeople that are retiring. All right, guys. Well, I think we should uh, sort of wrap it up there. Mario, have you any any thoughts you want to leave us with? Anything, any words of wisdom? Can you give me a prediction on the future, please? <laughs> a prediction on the future? Uh, well, I, like I said, I, I think the Internet of Things is, is certainly going to be disruptive. I've known the HVAC industry since I started in the 80s. And it hasn't changed at all. I, I believe it's it's still the same old HVAC industry. It's not sexy. It's uh, it's old and gray. And I think the Internet of Things is going to spice it up a bit and certainly uh, start to create a lot of uh, jobs, good jobs going forward. Here, here to that. So, Mary, I'm going to put uh, in the show notes, I'll be putting up a little write up of what we're talking about here. I'm also going to put on your Twitter handle so people can find you on the interwebs. So I'll put on your Twitter handle and your LinkedIn handle. And I'll also put in Sensor Suite's website. Is there any other place you'd like people to find you online? Or is that enough? Good. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. All right. So, Robert, anything wrap up with? No, it's been awesome having you on uh, on the call, uh, Maria. And I think you know, Adam. At some point, you know, we talked about uh, doing a show 
on uh, business owners and transition in business and selling businesses. And, um, you know, Mario, I think we might tap into you for that discussion (laughs) because all of us have gone through that and we've, we've all had uh, good stories and bad stories about uh, selling businesses and and the aftermath. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah, it would be awesome. So from from experience here, there's no there's no middle path. It's either awesome or it's horrible when you do an exit, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Or both at the same time. Yeah. It's awesomely awful. Yes. <laughs> but the good news is we're all smiling here. So That's right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's so Mary, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It was a great discussion. And I think this subject has a long way to go. And I think we'll be talking about it again and again. So hopefully we'll get you on again in the future. And best of luck. Best of luck with Sensor Suite. I wish you all the success in the world with that. Thank you. Appreciate yes, it. Yes, Mary. Thanks. Thanks again. Okay. Take thank care. you. See, See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so let's have a wrap-up on that. What did you think? That was interesting. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I have a very cynical view of the Internet of Things as it is right now because I just because of my particular practice and the world that I play in. But when he started to talk about residential in terms of multifamily high-rises, then that changed the scale of my perception. And I immediately saw the benefit of the technology that they're developing. It was it was in that scalability that when you have hundreds of suites that you're that you're managing and then the discussion on data and harvesting that data and the value of that data to institutional investors uh, they're on to something. I think they are. And I didn't realize it was an incubator of rice. And I mean, the uh, intellectual chops there are obviously good. I think their challenge is going to be, if I was them, and I know nothing about them, anyone who's listening, so this is just me being an asshole, basically. <laughs> but if I was them, I would be trying to hire a couple of engineers or technicians and somehow get in the IT guys and them guys to work together. Like I wouldn't have them in separate rooms. I'd have them sitting next to each other so that the IT guys can understand what they're connecting to. Because my big issue with the um, building automation industry is you get a lot of what I call software jockeys. So guys will come right. to commission the controls on a building and they'll sit in a panel on a laptop all day and they have no clue what the sensors are recording or trying to do or what a VFD is trying to do in combined with a static pressure sensor. They don't understand right. that. And that's the right. gap, right? Yeah. That's why commissioning exists. So there's no commission engineers for cars or laptops because cars and laptops actually work, right? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Well, yeah, and it's like it's like you know BIM and BIM BAM and modeling and and CAD operators and you know they they work in a virtual world, but you know you bring them out to a job site where people are mean and nasty. <laughs> You know, and you're and you're gonna get cold, and you might get hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's a disconnect between between those worlds, and so you're right. Bringing the, the these groups together is a is an exercise in reality for yeah. both parties. Yeah, really. Yeah, so I think that definitely onto something that I'll be surprised if that business doesn't scale. And Mario is a very skilled um, CEO and leader. And he's very skilled with sales, so and his Rolodex is awesome. I don't doubt for a minute. Yeah. So, you know, I think they will do well. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this, Sensor Suite, I would say is a company to watch because they yeah. might, they're at the bleeding edge of what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I think so. You know, he used the word disruptive, and we, you and I have talked about that, and particularly yourself. I mean, you're a big fan of disruptive act- <laughs> actions and. 
and I, and quite frankly, I mean, I, I mean, I think both of our reputations are based on being disruptive. I, the status quo exists because people got together and they created structure. And if you didn't fit into that structure, you were outside the circle. And so, as the as their internal things evolved, they kept out the other parties. And so nothing changed because they were writing their own internal rules. They were following their own internal rules. If you wanted to join their group, you had to follow their rules. But the disruptive people are the ones on the outside saying, you know, they're snubbing their nose at. They're you know, screw you. We'll we'll change it. We don't need you. Oh yeah. Right. And so disruptive behaviors is where change occurs. It's at the peripheral, the status quo that scares the people inside the circle. It does. Yeah. Cause you work hard, you establish a place in the hierarchy, right? We all know who the griller is and the apes all get in line. And then yeah. someone comes on, just disrupts that. It's very uncomfortable for most people. Yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable. Right. Right. You know, so again, there's, there, again, we live in a really, interesting time of change right yeah the, the change is all around and i think as an individual you have a choice you either embrace that change or you fight it there's the only two types of people i meet people who are open yeah. to change or people that are fighting change and i think yeah. if you're fighting change you're just on the wrong side of history you're gonna lose yeah change will happen right you just gotta get over it easy for me to say at the end of my career true enough but you know, I, t- I look at my dad as an example. He's 84 years old and, uh, you know, he he never fought change. He, you know, when technology changed, he changed. I mean, there, you're talking about a, a, a chart accountant who started out with a manual calculator, right? And, th- and then it was the computer cards, right? And the punch cards. And then, you know, and then the IBM systems and, and now, and you know, and, and so there are some individuals out there that, Go with the flow. But they seem to enjoy life. Where the people that fight change seem to always be in a state of frustration and friction and they're angry, you know? You're angry though, Adam, but you're not angry at the at change. You change. You're one of those high tech guys I know. I, I embrace change. What I'm angry at. No. Anger's the wrong word. I'm ashamed that the industry <laughs> I work in just hasn't freaking grown. Right. It looks like it's grown. We're not using slow rules. We're moving away from CAD. That looks like change, but it ain't. That's just the same old stuff with different clothes on. Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. I yeah. like that. So, you yeah. know, for me, change looks like the evolution from a 1970s Ford to a Tesla. That's what change looks like. If I could see a building evolution like that, I wouldn't be an angry old man. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> totally with you on that one. Okay, mate, so let's uh, let's wrap up and I'll see you on the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.